0: Welcome to episode seven of be a bigger fish. This is the podcast that explores the power of podcasting to grow your business or your community. I'm Debbie Aurelius and I'm your host. This week I was very lucky and I got to speak with a podcasting hero of mine that's a gentleman called Chuck Goes. Chuck is a communicator of 20 years experience with a real passion for internal communications so that's all the communication that happens inside a company or an organisation or an institution. Chuck tells us all about his podcast, Icology, and how he used that as a platform to champion the achievements and the successes of other internal communicators. I'm really interested in the way Chuck talks about the power of the human voice to build the kind of rapport that enables you to get really deep into a subject. He says that everybody deserves an interview, and he speaks passionately about the power of individual voices and perspectives. There's so much helpful information in this podcast for anybody who's looking to set up a podcast, but if you're an internal communicator too, then this is a really special episode for you. So let's listen to what Chuck has got to say. I'm really delighted to welcome Chuck Goes to the podcast. So Chuck, hello and welcome.
1: Thank you. It is a privilege being on here today.
0: Oh, thank you. So, just to introduce Chuck, um, he's been working in communications for almost 20 years. And to be really honest, Chuck is a little bit of a living legend in the eternal communications world. So, he's frequently called on um, to speak at international events. And his podcast, Icology, is a really excellent resource for anybody who's looking for internal comms inspiration. So, When I found Dycology, it was a real lifeline to me and I binge listened to the whole back catalogue as soon as I found it. So it's personally a real delight to get the chance to to speak to Chuck today. Would you like to introduce yourself a little and tell us a little bit about what you do and about what you're passionate about?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, It's, it's funny when I remember starting out as a communicator and hearing people who had 20 years of experience and thinking, oh my gosh, they've worked longer than i've been alive and now here the theory that describes about myself it is almost to that point where i've been working in comms almost longer than i hadn't been working in comms as a kid and a, and a college student but yeah it's the internal comms world is one that i am very passionate about um carrying that on through whether it was my role as a practitioner back when i did internal comms to now i've sort of evolved into the one foot in comms, one foot in tech, and sort of bounce back and forth between the two. And it was the world of internal that I really found that I became more personally passionate about. It wasn't as sexy and glamorous uh, 10, 15 years ago, maybe as like the external and PR and marketing world was. But I just found out my own nature was I liked the audience of employees. I liked coming up with creative ways of there's messaging or using technology to connect with them. I was, legit, I don't, some people are okay with the word reach when they talk about reaching employees. I don't, I think that's half assing it. I want to connect, I want to see people connect with employees because then that starts the two way dialogue. But yeah, most recently, as you mentioned, the Ecology podcast, uh, something that, you know, very active in for a long time, took a little break from it. Um, and I'm now, A strategic advisor at Social Chorus, Uh, so good to still work in the internal comms world and working with customers essentially all over the world, helping them with content strategy, uh, other areas like that, and then also recently launched a brand new podcast for them called Culture, Comms, and Cocktails, Uh which is fun because on every episode, we do talk about culture and comms, but we also do talk about (laughs) cocktails as well, Uh, so that's a lot of fun to get started. Uh, to see where that goes. And I do have uh, greater visions for uh, ecology, but we'll sort of talk about what happened there and uh some of the lessons i learned as we sort of make our way through the rest of the discussion
0: yeah sure okay and i really love the, the fact that you talked about the difference between reach and connection and i'm actually quite interested in that particular form of connection that seems to happen through the medium of podcasting which is mm-hmm. maybe maybe counterintuitive as it feels like a a broadcast kind of medium but actually it does seem to form that kind of human connection so maybe we'll we'll explore that as, as we as we discuss as the the absolutely art, the art of podcasting so <laughs> what was it in the first place that kind of inspired you to take to podcasting
1: well I think it started out I was looking to build some kind of platform of my own something that had my voice and not necessarily voice like we think about volume and audio side of it but my ideas my perspectives and what I found was I knew I wasn't going to author a blog like I just wasn't that kind of person to manage a blog and manage a website and keep content out there. I, I knew that that wasn't my thing. But I found myself listening to more podcasts. And a lot of times people ask me, like, what is your favorite podcast? And hands down, my favorite one is Freakonomics.
2: Ah, yeah. and,
1: and their tagline is the hidden side of everything. And I like that. And that's what, what encouraged me a bit to start Icology was because in very much the way, internal comms, sometimes the hidden side of communications. We don't see what companies are always doing. We just see what's in the news. We don't always get to see what happens behind the scenes inside the four walls of a company. I thought, well, internal communicators by nature don't tend to share very often Mm -hmm. what what they do, what their successes are. A lot of times they don't think their successes are really all that great. So I sort of challenged myself with ecology to build that platform of Encouraging internal communicators to share not just successes, maybe some missteps, maybe some mistakes along the way or areas they can improve, but get internal communicators sharing more of the great work they are doing and not just leaving it inside uh, their company's walls.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's done a brilliant job of doing that, actually. Um, and certainly, the internal communications conversation publicly seems to have grown enormously over the last five years. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's certainly contributed to that to that growth, which is fantastic. So, when you set out podcasting, did you get any formal training, or did you teach yourself? How did you get going?
1: Yeah, that's that's another cautionary tale I like to share with uh, <laughs> with people. When I decided I wanted to do a podcast, I began reading articles, went to the Google machine, uh, began reading articles about what would it take to do a podcast, and it was absolutely intimidating. Mm. It was, you need this kind of software and this kind of microphone and uh, this kind of mixer and all, all these crazy things. I thought, okay, there's, there's no way I can do this and have a job, right? There, there's no way to manage all that. I don't think I had the attention span necessarily to learn all of those things. But there's a guy uh, more on the marketing side of things, a gentleman named Jay Bear. A little shout out for Jay here. I noticed he was traveling all the time and doing client work, but was still producing a podcast. So I reached out to him on Twitter and basically asked him, like, Jay, how do you do it? And he replied back with, he's like a USB headset and go-to meeting. Right. I was like, oh, I can do that. Like, that's that's not all of these spend thousands of dollars and all this training. It was. No, just start simple. Start with what you have. And then over time, yeah, if you want to invest in a microphone or you want to get better or get fancy with editing, do that. But you don't have to start that way. So that was this big uh, dose of encouragement for me to hear that from Jay that I said, okay, I can do this. I can get started. Then it came down to, well, what the hell do I call it? (laughs) I didn't know what to call this podcast. And the story i like to share there is it came from Sort of a mistaken Google search. So I was looking for like different words that start with IC, and which I know it's kind of cliche. That with internal comms, so I thought I was doing like ICA and IC, you know, E and different words. And one point I typed in ICO, and Google defaulted to say like, "Do you mean ecology?" Ah, and I was like, "No," but then I read the definition of ecology and thought, actually, that works for. Ecology. So that's where actually the name came from was a mistaken Google search, and um, that didn't even spur it on. That okay, I can now create a bit of an ecosystem, much like ecology is about ecosystems. Ecology yeah. can very much be an ecosystem of communicators and ideas and thoughts and uh, celebrations of this world.
0: Yeah, great. And how did that play out? Did that ecosystem evolve around the podcast?
1: it did it it's one of those things that when you create a podcast because even though they've they've been around for a long time the measurement and tracking of podcasts is still very much in its infancy so it's hard to really know you know people want to get very specific in metrics and unfortunately there just aren't a lot of specifics in the metrics but it was so fascinating to see when i got started at you know i was promoting on linkedin promoting on twitter to see people were listening from all these countries from where I didn't know anybody. I could think like, and I think eventually when I lasted a count, I college been listened to in more than a hundred countries around the world. Now, now some of those in all fairness might've been like, uh, listen or two listen, but the fact that it is reaching now the, 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 I think the top five were obviously us, Canada, UK, uh, Germany, Singapore. Like those were, you know, I would say, bit more westernized nation. But it was really cool. One time, there was a guy uh, who reached out to me on Twitter saying he was a listener from the Ukraine. Great. And, and so I actually gave him a shout out on the podcast to thank him for listening. Because it's one of those things that as you get, begin producing content, you lose control of it in a very fantastical way. Like You really can't control necessarily who consumes it and that's what makes it really cool because you're spreading these ideas truly around the world in all parts of the world and everybody's benefiting from it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And My podcast is still quite young, but I'm already tracking the different countries that people have listened to it in and it's a real thrill when you get a, a new country the next day it's like so exciting. It's fascinating.
2: <laughs> now
1: it might have been a friend that downloaded while they were traveling but what whatever it still shows very much the viral nature that can happen and you never know who's telling who and i will i will share one uh, another quick story that was very interesting to me i did an event over in london and spoke at it and at the end i asked questions and uh this woman raised her hand and she said so i want to know what what happened to ecology and i said oh you know i had to take a little bit of a break or whatever she said yeah when i was coming to this event i told one of my colleagues that you were speaking at the event and this person in the most Americanized British accent style voice, like recited my intro to the podcast to her.
2: Cool. And that,
1: you start to realize it's not just people listening once to a podcast. You become part of their habit. You become part of their normal consumption of, of information, much just like Freakonomics did for me. When you create a podcast, you become a part of their life. And that's part of that connection that you're talking about. It's like, a, it's like a sitcom, a show that you just watch and listen to over and over and over again. When you create a really great podcast, it becomes a part of that person's life and their learning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's really impactful, and and like I say, I went through a phase where I had to drive a three-hour each way journey once a week when I was relatively new in internal comms, and that's when I found psychology. And that I used to set <laughs> off at five a.m. Get I live on a mountain, so the reception's awful. Wait till I was off the mountain, get onto the main roads, put psychology on, and then three hours <laughs> straight straight through into the office. And it was it was that was my weekly you know, fix of internal comms news, I guess. And just that sense of community that there were other people out there doing the same role as me. I was the only internal comms person in my team. You know, I didn't have that kind of peer-to-peer conversation at work, but I was getting that from the podcast. So, yeah. When was- I
1: obviously, I, I personally clearly benefited from my name and being associated with the podcast, but those episodes were never about me. I always wanted to make them about the guest. And I know that was something that as I made my way through, I got a lot better at interviewing and talking to people. And I even apologize to both guests and listeners. Those first five, six, seven, eight episodes were probably a little rough because I got we got very long-winded. I think some were like 50-some minutes. Uh, I know Alan Oram from Alive With Ideas was one of the early ones. So I sort of cherry-picked friends. To have on there because I knew they'd be patient with me in the process. But you get better. You get better at how to prep guests. You get better at how to interview. You get better at telling stories. Your own comfort level increases, and you start to develop your own style, which then puts your guests at more comfort and
0: ease. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true actually. And again, really early days for me, but already I'm starting to you know to feel that like that that things you know. Mm Getting easier, and you learn from listening back to yourself and cringing a little bit, and all those things that you have well, to that's, go through.
1: That's something that a lot of people say that they could never do a podcast because they don't like hearing themselves. And I and I warn them, nobody really does. You just have to get used to it. Yeah. You and you do get used to it. You do get used to hearing your own voice, and you make little mental notes of how to get better and say to yourself, like, "Whoa, I say that word a lot," or "That's an awkward transition." Let's try to. Not do that, but again, even as interviewers, you fall into habits and phrase transitions. And and even still today, I at times try to coach myself. And even speaking, uh, I did an event uh, in Oklahoma uh, for an IABC A like all day event, and had one of the uh, attendees keep a little tally on her sheet of how many times I said the word so, because I realized I was saying so to transition between ideas. I'm trying to eliminate it because it's kind of a meaningless word. And even then, me trying to eliminate it, I'm pretty sure I said it a dozen times. Yeah. During the talk. Yeah. <laughs> but But if you're thinking of doing a podcast and you're worried about hearing your voice, get over it because that's a part of being that host and that champion of your ideas.
0: Yeah, I agree that that's really good advice. And somebody told me to just record yourself on the phone and listen to that even just general chit chat, listen to your own voice a few times and just get used to the act of listening to it. Um, just to get mm-hmm. past that. So yeah, I think that's good advice so from what you've said loads of great things have come out of icology so you've had the excitement of spreading your ideas and establishing your voice globally and being surprised by the number of countries that have (laughs) dialed into the podcast which is fantastic and um, something about that sense of connection as well that it's created and people you've met you never met before who feel like they know you because they've listened to the podcast what other maybe benefits or good things do you think have come out of podcasting for you?
1: Um, you know, I, I do think it's around giving me a chance to celebrate this world of internal comms. And I was very proud to have guests on, whether I heard them speak at an event or saw something they shared on LinkedIn and I would reach out to them about it. And they're like, yeah, but it's really not that big a deal. And I was like, well, you may not think it is, but you actually don't get to decide if it's a big deal or not. I think it is a big deal. So I'm going to make it a big deal. So was it, it was giving me that chance to Celebrate and then I started thinking about Internal comms in different ways and one of the episodes. I think I'm most proud of that I did Was back uh, I interviewed Rachel Miller from all things I see We did an interview about brexit the day after the vote the original vote like back then This is before we thought all kinds of craziness political things could happen around the rest of the world Little did we know that was just an early indicator But to hear from her that immediate sense as a communicator, what this meant to her personally and professionally, and being able to tap into that very quickly and share that with the rest of the world, essentially, as a piece of advice, something to learn from. And what I appreciated about Rachel on that episode was her opening up personally about what it meant to her and what that felt like when that vote came down. Typically, that would not, I think, have been seen as an internal comms event. But we all knew that it would be an internal communications challenge going forward. So thinking about the timeliness of it and the relevancy of it, that it's not just about how to send better uh, email newsletters or mobile apps or intranets or any of these technologies we have or how to be creative. All those things are important, but it's also how can we respond as leaders in organizations? And I like championing that across some of it. Not every episode was like that. But when you get the chance to do those, those are pretty, pretty special.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I heard that episode, actually, I think at the time it came out. So it was, um, well, it was a big watershed moment here in the UK. And it was great to hear mm-hmm. that issue debated in real time. <laughs> I was really interested when you talked about uh, the fact that your ideas are taking root in so many different places. And I really love this concept of you championing things that have gone well and giving people a platform um, to be celebrated on. I think that's amazing. Do you ever think about the sort of, I guess, the ethics of editing and what you decide to keep in and what you decide to share and what maybe you decide you won't share? Do you ever go through that thought process? And what is your what are your kind of boundaries around that decision making process?
1: Yeah, I I will say typically I do very minimal editing Mm -hmm. on a podcast unless unless it's truly the guest makes a mistake and I've had some guests who they start answering a question and they get down a rabbit hole and kind of forget what I asked before. I'll go in and edit that. What I never wanted this to do was become a, a gotcha moment for communicators, something they would regret sharing. I wanted them to be proud of the episode. So I never asked questions necessarily to, to dig in, to give up some kind of dirty detail or catch them off guard and expose something. I wanted them to be comfortable. To me, that's not what that podcast was about. If if I had guests before that maybe they came back and said you know I said this really not comfortable with that I would take it out yeah. because to me it wasn't about some expose I'm, I'm yes it's sort of news reporting and some people might view it as a bit of journalism but to me it's very soft it's really about telling a story and I want to tell a story that that guest is proud of and comfortable with um, because a lot of times these guests uh, if they weren't friends before the podcast have come become friends after the podcast so I never wanted to betray that relationship with uh those people I invited
0: yeah I think that's a, a really great standpoint to take actually and I agree you know what's the point of catching people out you're much better to generate really positive dialogue because then you get the best out of people and surely that's what we all want to share right you want to share the best of each other so <laughs> yeah yeah no, I think that's super so having talked about Icology and the fact that it's a podcast about internal comms, but it's not actually an act of internal comms and kind of flipping that a bit. Mm-hmm. Have you any experience of in-house podcasting?
1: Not myself. I've never done that uh, internally at a company, but because of what I did at Icology. In fact, one episode I did was about a podcast uh, at, at a company. And this was at and at the time when they had a podcast called life at AT&T and Doug Magditch was the host. And it was actually, I was speaking at an event a couple of years back and um, somebody asked a question about ecology and I asked for a raise of hands if anybody had was doing a podcast internally and Doug raised his hand and we ended up talking about it. And I learned more about their podcast and I cherished it in a way at the time because it was, they left it open to public. They left it available to uh, anybody to listen to because it wasn't, giving news updates it was more about telling employee stories and they didn't really see a danger if an AT&T customer or somebody in the news media happened to hear this employee talking about their life and Doug did a great job at the time of interviewing everybody from uh, people out working on the lines to people in corporate sponsorship uh, one of my favorite episodes they did was with a gentleman who worked in accounting and he mentioned that, uh, you know, what he did was not necessarily all that special. But in this episode, it was during Pride Month. And he talked about how the culture at AT&T was such a way that he came out while he was working at AT&T. And there was a support mechanism and there were people there and there were groups that helped him and supported him. And after I listened to the podcast, I reached out to Doug and said, I don't know if you guys realize what, what this piece of content might mean to someone. Whether that person's an employee, a customer, general public, their perception of who AT&T is now has changed, both from possibly an internal brand standpoint and external brand. And I think that's where podcasts internally really do have an opportunity to tell employee stories in in a new way, in a very digestible way, much like you talked about, where you listened on your drive in. Uh, Maybe not everybody has those three-hour drives, maybe it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes (laughs) in. But to listen to employees and what their life is like. So no matter what size company you work at, communicators often get to see the lives of other workers, but sometimes you just see what's closest to you. So you may not know what that person that's in another division doing another job, even what their life is like. And I thought that those style of podcasts really present a great opportunity for communicators to tell an employee story, using your other internal comms channels to tease it, You know, you can always transcribe a podcast. I had a lot of people that told me that they loved ecology. They never listened to the podcast. They would read the interview. Right. So they enjoyed reading it, not so much listening to it. So outside of that, you create little sound bites, little 10-second snippets or 30-second snippets of ideas. It really becomes a great vehicle to uh, turn that little piece of audio that you've recorded with an employee into something even more amazing with so many other channels out there to publish it to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on as well, sort of sharing those employee experiences in a way that's equally valid externally and internally, is it's so powerful. It's you know, it's a completely new filter for people to see organizations through externally. Mm-hmm. You know, and it champions the, the value of each individual person, doesn't it? It gives that person a you know, a real voice.
1: It's funny you said it you do see an organization differently by hearing it. you're listening to this audio but your mind is seeing this organization in a brand new light and there is something about the human voice and how much more real and those connections we make when we hear somebody and what they sound like and the cadence and the words they use whereas so often when we're reading things we're skipping words we're sort of get we're scanning we're flying through when a podcast i find myself really listening to the conversation or to the interview or to the report. And I think sometimes that's where podcasts let you go deeper into a topic, where sometimes we're sort of skimming the surface and we go broad. Podcasts, you can take a very narrow topic and drill down as deep as
2: you want.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And there's such a lot of talk about being able to create a really, really niche podcast. And that's still being successful because there are ways for audiences to find niche content. And that engagement level with podcasts is so much higher. I think you're right. I think it's easy to skim read things, but you do tend to listen to a whole of a podcast. And I think it's one of the few mediums as well, you can actively multitask, and still engage with. So Mm -hmm. I'm always either driving or gardening or sorting out the washing while I'm listening to a podcast. And I'm really glad to have that kind of intellectual stimulation going on while I'm doing mundane things. Do do you think that's part of what makes it successful? Or do you think it's- I think
1: for some people, I think for some people like you, it does. I've had, there was a member, this communicator at Dell that told me, she said when she would listen to Ecology, she had to be sitting at her desk with a notepad because she needed to scribble down little things. Cause she found herself when she was listening in the car, she needed to take notes and not mental notes, but actually physical notes. And she couldn't do that. So she would listen at her desk so that if there was something she heard or some idea or something she wanted to follow up on. She could then scribble it down. So keep anybody who's interested in making a podcast, think through all the different ways that people might be listening. It could be on a commute. Uh, I found myself listening to a lot of podcasts when I would mow my yard, because uh, it would sort of keep your mind active doing some of those mundane things you're talking about. But others listen, I think, a little more actively and intently. So they either want to have notes that they can take or a resource they can go back and find all that information.
0: Sure. I think that's a really good point, actually. And what a great testament to the value of the podcast that you know, people are making written notes. That's fantastic. Um, but yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think you mentioned earlier, right at the top of the podcast, that when you wanted to establish your voice, you took to podcasting, perhaps because you felt like blogging wasn't really the thing for you in some ways. Mm -hmm. And we spoke just now about how people love to listen to other human voices and that it engenders a kind of form of connection. Do you think when we write, we adopt a different tone of voice? And do you think that that makes podcasting a more sort of honest way of communicating?
1: Yes, uh, I would say that maybe it isn't always the case for me when I write, though. I tend to write very conversationally, very quick, very short sentences, mostly because I'm trying to rush through it. I don't overthink it, and that some people they want to sound when they're writing. they want to sound very official and and well thought out, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's never been my writing style. So I bet if people read what I wrote and probably listened to a podcast, they would probably see some of those similarities. They would see, some of the styles where in my mind I might sort of start and stop and continue on and do different things. But for others, I think they forget the value of the conversation and what it's in having that back and forth flow of information. Whereas a blog is very much, you know, just like any other article or writing just your ideas and it's just start to finish and then it's done. Whereas a conversation, much like you and I are having, I had a general idea, before we started today, kind of what we were going to talk about, but I didn't know exactly what I was going to say. And that's, that's what sort of the beautiful thing around conversation is. It's very archaic in some ways, but also very beautiful and natural in other ways and can be inspiring. It can be infuriating to people, but that's as, as humans, that's how we relate to one another is, is through voice, through now it's, it's interesting. You talk about with sort of the, the verbal elements of communication when everybody talks about like 93% of communication is nonverbal or what people, how they're using their hands or their stance, obviously in a podcast, you don't get that. So mm-hmm. I think then that's why, is that why people then focus more in on the voice because you're not distracted necessarily by their movements, how they're dressed, what's on the screen beside them. Um, you know, your are focused so intent on what they are saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And their tone of voice, I guess, you know, mustn't forget to smile while you dial and all that <laughs> kind like, of voice. <laughs>
1: well, it's no different than another friend of mine, Rocky Walls, who was more on the video side of communication. He's also a guest on ecology.
2: Yeah.
1: He always given the piece of advice that before you do a video, you know, tell yourself a little joke or smile before you start. And it actually relaxes the body. And, and but even so, even for podcasting, I do that. Because it does sort of soften your body. You relax a little bit. And when you relax a little bit, you communicate so much more naturally. So whether it's video, podcast, whatever, I still take that piece of advice, which is either fake a smile or tell yourself a little joke. And then your communication style relaxes a little bit. And it's more at ease.
0: I love that. I think that's one of the key takeaways of pieces of advice that you've shared. It's really cool. I, I do the, the Amy Cuddy thing, you know, where you, you, you put your arms up and go, yes, I love this podcast. <laughs> and that, that's what I do before I start. So we've, we've shared a lot of insight there, I think, <laughs> into our approach to podcasting. But yeah, I, I think getting into the right mindset certainly helps, mm-hmm. doesn't it? So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, that's really interesting. If you were talking to an internal comms pro who's really keen on setting up an in-house podcast, what kind of advice would you pass on to that person?
1: Uh, I would. I would want to know their commitment to this podcast because that it is a commitment. When pump people, I've had some people come to me and they'll they'll say, "Well, I just want to do a few. I want to start a podcast and do a few interviews and and do audio." And it's like, "That's cool, do that," but that's not a podcast those are just audio interviews you've recorded a podcast to me is a commitment. You've committed to a schedule. You are attracting listeners to this. So that would be the first thing I would want to bring up to them. Now you could very wisely do it. They are going to do a 10 part series on this then take a little break and then come back and do another 10 part series. But it is a commitment to uh, the separate. So that would be the first thing I'd want to understand from them. And then secondly, Have them begin thinking through kind of the what and the why. Like, what what is it for them? What is is their personal interest in the podcast? And then, why would that be of interest to the company or employees? And not saying that to question them, just more for them to think through that exercise of, of what is this podcast going to mean to employees and why would they want to listen to it? And sometimes those are tough things for communicators to honestly answer because we think a lot of the things we communicate is interesting and fun and insightful, but employees don't find it that way. So your listeners will, will tell you those things. Maybe when it comes to an internal podcast, another key decision to begin thinking about is, do you make it public or private? Yeah. And recently there was a question on Twitter that I responded to about uh, how to make a podcast private. I've seen examples of both. I've seen examples where it's publicly available, I've seen examples where it is behind a firewall. There are pros and cons to both. And I tend to go the direction of making it public because I don't know that necessarily employees want to listen to a podcast to hear project updates and business updates and you know things like that. I think they, they want to listen to a podcast to be inspired mm-hmm. and entertained. And typically, that content, that a company is creating internally, there's no danger in that being shared externally of somebody listening to it. Somebody would have to trip across it and find it and subscribe to it. Plus then you open it up to family members being able to become a part of that community and listening to it. But there were a few examples where uh, a couple of companies I know that did it privately had very good reasons to do it. Uh, given the nature of their employees, these were employees who did not have traditional access to computers or email. So they wanted to provide these weekly operations updates of we're getting rid of this. We're now adding this. And this next week is this campaign. It was very tactical, uh, hosted by two communicators. They did a great job with it. And I even challenged them when I heard them speak at an event that I was like, I bet I can find this podcast. I'll, I will find it. <laughs> okay. I will. I am going to dig and find this. And to their credit, the only thing I was able to find was a screenshot of their their icon, like their 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 podcast icon. I could not find the feed. I could not find an episode. So credit to them. It was truly private. But I think the bigger picture of what an internal podcast could be, I tend to lean toward making it public and letting it become more of a community podcast. Whether a customer listens to it, a family member listens to it. I mean, I on Culture Comms and Cocktails, my very first guest is a communicator at MGM named Ray Bachnight. And Ray and I've worked together. We've become friends throughout this project. It was really cool to see on LinkedIn and Twitter, his brother sharing the podcast. Ah, yeah, And that was kind of neat because then it became a point of pride. It wasn't hidden behind the four walls like so much of internal comms tend to be. It is a chance to, to celebrate. And again, nothing he shared was confidential or anything like that. So that's That's where, you know, when you're making that decision, thinking through the content and the style, if it is confidential information, obviously you don't want anybody to get in trouble, so you would want that to then be private. But if it's not, if it's public, it then makes it even easier for employees to consume it. So if you've got people that don't have email addresses and don't have traditional access, but they all have a smartphone and they have, whether they're listening to an Apple podcast or Google Play, they can download it and listen to it. learn a little bit more about each other. So even thinking through what you want this podcast to be in style, that public and private decision could weigh in on that.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And it's about style. And I think it's about what you're trying to achieve from it too. I mean, in your view, do you think podcasts can contribute positively towards business goals and business outcomes?
1: I mean, it depends directly, indirectly, you know, if people feel better about who they work for and what they are and these stories inspire them and they learn a little bit more about their peers and what their peers are focused on and what they're doing. Again, I think back to the Life at AT&T podcast that it really gave some insight into people maybe wonder, like, what are they even doing over there? What does that guy do? Or, I mean, I always hear complaints. I'm not saying that happened there. But if you listen to these episodes, you get a really good feel for what your colleagues are challenged with and what their life is like. And I think it's a great example of how, uh, I know, if, let's say if I had worked at at and at the time, I would have felt better about working there knowing that the company even wants to share these stories from people from across the business. And it's not just the CEO talking. It wasn't just the C-suite or vice president. These were people at all levels of the organization sharing their experiences and what was on their mind. And, and I appreciated Doug. He took a very... NPR style approach to the podcast like he did a lot of editing he wanted it to be like background noise and you were hearing things and jazzy intros between and um but he took a lot of pride in that editing and doing that so it it, it's possible it could be direct i view it as more indirectly of people just feeling better about you know we spend so much time with our companies and who we work for and what we do there's no danger in having people feel better about that and their colleagues
0: yeah i totally agree i totally agree and great to feel that you work for somebody who's proud of you i should imagine
1: that that's a great point as well that here that a company wants to tell the story of their employees and let people hear directly from them of what the you know the life is like and what the challenges are and what they're tasked with and what they want to accomplish all of those things i think there's tons of different opportunities there no matter what size the organization. You do not have to be a, a mammoth company. You can be a company of hundred people
2: yeah. and
1: still have an amazing, but imagine if you had a, if you had a company of hundred people and you interviewed an employee once a week, you've got two years of content. Yeah. <laughs> just in that, just in that. So, true. Right? so you've got, And everybody deserves an interview. Everybody has some great story to tell. There's this, uh, reporter, and I'm spacing on his name right now. But he, um, he did this like on the road series. And what I thought was really cool was he had a map of the United States and he threw a dart at it. And whatever town it hit, he traveled to that town and then he'd start randomly talking to people and he would find the most amazing stories from people that otherwise never would have been discovered. And I think about that all the time when it comes to internal communicators and storytelling. There are so many stories inside your company yet to be told. And a podcast would be an amazing way to tell that story.
0: That is such a brilliant message. And I think you're right. There are so many stories to be told in so many different ways. And having that curiosity and always being ready to find out the next story, I think, is such a great, um, I don't know, exciting, energizing way to start out as an internal communicator. So, yeah, I think that's... And and that's
1: that's a great point, too. You don't need to be the most senior internal communicator to do this. You could be very junior. You could be very new. And this would be, I guess, a bit of a challenge maybe to somebody listening who they're now thinking, oh, okay, I wanna get started doing this. I would love to see a communicator take the approach of, let's say you have your giant org chart up on a wall and do video it, right? Because this becomes a way to promote the podcast, do a video of it, throw a dart at it, and whoever you hit, that's, that's the next interview, right? And then people go and listen to the podcast to hear, that, so it, it takes bias out of it, right? It, it makes it beautifully random and knowing that you're gonna find a story from that person, there's something unique, something great they have to share that maybe other people don't know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If anybody actually does that, I hope that they will write in to you or me, (laughs) and let us know that they've taken up that idea. That's super, yeah. That would be fun. Yeah.
1: If they don't do it, maybe I'll do it. They don't do it.
0: (laughs) I wanted to bring up, actually, you talked earlier about commitment. When I said, what piece of advice would you give? You said you check that person's commitment um tell us a bit more about commitment and that thing about you know having a loyalty to your audience is that what Mm -hmm. you meant by that
1: yeah and it's it's very it's something that's been troubling me I would say of of late so when I started ecology I was on a, a method of like every two weeks new episode every two weeks episode 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 then I got into such a good habit of it uh, then somebody said, well, you really don't really start gaining a lot of traction in podcasts until you do weekly. So then I came up with a new sort of weekly format in between the thing. And it, it got to be this machine, but it also got to be a bit of a chore. And it wasn't something I was necessarily looking forward to doing It was something at the end of the week, I was scrambling to get done. And it wasn't, I basically, I let the podcast start to overtake what I wanted out of it. It got to be this effort that I always cared about it and always tried to put out good work, but it was, again, late in the day. I was scrambling to get something out, and I I kind of just took a little bit of a breather on it, and then life got in the way. had a bunch of life changes that happened, and I'm, unfortunately, sometimes in life, you have to make choices of what you want to focus on, and ecology had to go to the back burner. It had, I had to take a breather on it, and I still did a few... Episodes like I would be doing live interviews at events and things like that, and little things would pop up. But it's now that it's like exercise, right? When you go to the gym and you get into a good habit, it just becomes a part of what you do. And that's very much what I was doing with the episode. Then I fell out of the habit of doing it. Now it's going back to the gym. Now it's getting back in and scheduling these interviews and doing these podcasts. And I'm hopeful that with Social Chorus, doing these culture comms and cocktails uh, episodes, which are very ecology like style interviews because it's my style yes. i'm the one doing the work on it i'm hopeful that i can now get back into a routine of the ecology interviews and basically how i'm breaking it down is the culture comes and cocktails is very much a part of what two social courses and what we do there the ecology are the ones episode that i want to more focus on the bigger topics kind of like i did before of you know, whether it was like the state of the sector surveys come out and trust barometers, these big topics that you really want to drill into. But then I have this other idea of a podcast, and I'm going to keep adding to it as I'm trying to get back into it, is this past year, I uh, worked with Alive With Ideas on a book. And if you could see me right now, I'm going air quotes around a book, but some people <laughs> would call it a book, called The Very Hungry Communicating, And it, it that was a very inspirational moment for Alan and I when we were talking through The Very Hungry Communicator, uh, because we do think there's a hunger inside each communicator. That hunger is a little different. That motivation is a little different. And where the ecology episodes might be this big, huge topic, I want to start episodes around The Very Hungry Communicator and interview communicators about what motivates them, like what drives them. It's not about necessarily what they do and who they work for. But what is it about this comms world that they love? And what do they get out of it? And what do they put into it? And, and I'm hopeful that by executing all that, I can begin getting back into that workout routine and feeling good about it and, feeling, and, and building that confidence back up and that pride back up in the podcast. That's, that's what I want to have happen in 2019 for me, uh, because then I know if I can do that and execute on that it will have a positive impact on the internal commons profession and those communicators out there who were listening before.
0: That sounds like a great idea. And I think sharing what motivates people is infectious. There's a a thread on Twitter at the moment, that Advita, the chair of CIPR Inside, started saying, mm-hmm. "What do you love about working in IC?" And it's generated so much response and so much real goodwill, and that you know that overwhelming sense that wow, this is a profession of people who really care about what they do and the people they work for, and and it makes you, you know, have that moment of pride, doesn't it, that you've you've chosen a really positive path. So yeah, it sounds like a brilliant and, idea. and think
1: about and think about that question that she posed on Twitter, responding. By typing a tweet, you're going to answer differently probably than if you spoke to someone about it. Merits to both. With a tweet, you're going to pick the right words and make yourself sound really good. But when (laughs) someone just asks you the question, you're going to say what you say. And, And it's probably the same sentiment is there, but you're probably going to go deeper into the topic because you're not bound by a character limit at that point. The only thing you're bound by is the words you choose to describe you know that passion
0: totally and in a conversation you can have a much more rounded exploration of something as well you can talk about the bad sides of things and the downsides of things because you can balance that and you can bring it back and talk about you know the other sides of things so it's mm-hmm. hard to do that I found it's very hard to do that on Twitter you've got to be you have got to be measured and very careful about what what you choose to say because it's such a sound bite, isn't it
2: But but
1: but the cool thing about Twitter is if you do respond, if you do type something there, people can reply back and you can have a more back and forth dialogue with a larger group. Whereas, say, for example, like what we're doing today, um, it's the two of us. Yeah. Conversation. So there's again, there's merits to to all those environments. I truly just love and I ask this a lot of times when I speak at events, how many communicators, especially internal communicators, I don't ask if they have a Twitter account or a LinkedIn account. I ask, are you using Twitter or LinkedIn, and very few do. And I sort of scald them, I guess, in a way of what they're missing out on. Because there are amazing connections. There are amazing conversations. Helpful. You can go there. I mentioned before the tweet where somebody asked about podcasts and how do I make it private? She got dozens of responses from all over the world. This is a lady from the UK who asked a question, and I could see people from all different countries were responding to her. You're not going to get that anywhere else so for those internal communicators who are listening who aren't active on social media and by that i mean specifically linkedin and twitter you really are missing out on an amazing community um even that niche environment we talked about for podcasts that niche environment exists um out there on linkedin and twitter
0: yeah that's true that's true and yeah there is such a lot of good learning um and useful exchange of ideas to be found if you look for it um
1: yeah, I agree. And and even people like the Rachel Miller's, the Alan Orams, the Sharon O'Day's, uh those people I first met through Twitter. And back when Melchrom was a thing, Melchrom no longer exists
0: remember. Yeah, I remember Melchrom, yeah.
1: Melchrom, I uh, did it I was at an event in London. That was the first time member I met uh Rachel Miller and Dana Leeson.
2: Yeah.
1: When we met we didn't meet with a handshake. Like we met with hugs because for years we had bantered and shared and retweeted on Twitter to the point where you meet face-to-face. It's, it's like you're meeting a friend. Yes. You're not meeting a fellow professional. And those are kind of the relationships that you can build whether you're doing a podcast or not or whatever. You can build amazing relationships in this internal comms world beyond just sharing advice and practice, but really getting to know uh others out there
0: yeah and there are a lot of really warm and generous people um in the internal comms world who you know share a lot of expertise on on social media yeah i've, I've met those people too and they're they're lovely they're a joy to meet
1: and and, and what and what, what i'm trying to do now is let people know that it's not just in the uk right no. we have thoughtful people and leaders here in the us as well um it's, it's been an interesting debate when i've talked to a few different people around why Why does it seem like London has become a bit of a hub for internal comms and employee engagement and employee experience conversation? And some people related to geography, some people related to just timing and relevancy of of country and what was going on in England at the time. And London is a hub for pretty much the rest of the country. Not that everything Mm -hmm. takes place in London, but Mm -hmm. from abroad, it certainly seems like everything takes place in London. Uh, So I think that's given a rise to a lot of the uh, more thoughtful leaders. In the internal comms space there in london whereas here in the us we're so scattered about yeah like me we, we can't have if, if there was a like a, a some comms events i wouldn't even know what city to host it in to get everybody together whereas i can even have the flex the least ability to get to london pretty easily um with the us you're talking a five-hour flight
0: yeah. if you're
1: going from new york to san francisco or chicago or atlanta and so I think that's been a great benefit to London and the profession is having that bit of that hub mentality. Uh, I'm just trying to help bring some of those ideas over there to the U.S. so we can have more of a global community around internal counsel.
0: That's a really interesting point. I'd never thought about it that way, but yeah, I can see why it must appear London is such a hub from <laughs> from abroad. Yeah, and and having such a vast country that's so distributed it is it must be a very different model. Um, you know, to get Well, an and even larger country. Yeah.
1: You know, even larger country, more vast, yeah. um, more scattered to some degree. And I would say over here, maybe that's where the marketing and PR world sort of gained a little bit more of a stronger foothold for attention than the internal comms, but we're, we're fighting strong. We, we're trying to get there.
0: Good for you, <laughs> fight the fight. <laughs> we're right behind you. Yeah, okay. So I'd like to ask you my final question. What does it mean to you to be a bigger fish?
1: When you ask that question, I immediately thought of something that happened to me probably about 25 years ago. And this is when I was deciding which college I wanted to attend. And my final two choices, one was a a huge school, 60,000 students. The other school was around 4,000 students. And when I attended a, uh, like a scholarship luncheon at the big school, the university president was there. And he mentioned, he's like, do you wanna be a big fish in a little pond or a small fish in a big pond? And I don't wanna say I could be a bit brash, but I, I'm i pretty shameless when it comes to things. So I raised my hand and said, well, why can't you be a big fish in a big pond? I didn't understand why that choice is there. So for me, what it means to be a a big fish or a bigger fish is you have a little more accountability you're obviously a little more visible so what you say and do has greater repercussion on others i think at times to be a bigger fish means you do need to share a bit more of yourself and hopefully through that you're able to inspire others and encourage others to then share more of them also do think it's sometimes a chance to step in and help i don't want to say smaller fish i mean it's not like i'm not looking I'm, but help those who want to grow what can you do to help those people grow what platform can you create to help them and that was sort of very much what not i didn't know ecology was going to become that at the time but that's very much sort of what it became was this chance to help other people grow and increase their visibility as a part of it so i think there's a big responsibility with being a bigger fish you meant like i love Keynoting at events. I love speaking at events. I get such a rush and a high off of doing that. I enjoy that. But I also love promoting others to do that, encouraging more internal communicators to seek out events to share who they are and what they do and what they're passionate about. Because in the internal comms world, it's so easy to be that small fish. And there's nothing wrong with always wanting to be that small fish. But for those small fish that want to be bigger fish, reach out. To the big fish reach out to those people introduce yourself ask questions um because for the most part i guess maybe it sounds egotistical to refer to myself as a big fish but reach out to me reach out to rachel miller reach out to um alan oram reach out to elizabeth wayne kristen hancock uh, ali bunin people like that out there we we're all in this world together, this world of internal comms, fighting for attention, fighting to be better professionals, fighting to make a difference at the companies we work for. Um, and we want to then also help celebrate and promote each other as well. So we all have a role to play. Whether you, whether you view yourself as a small fish or a big fish, we all have a role to play to help grow this internal comms profession and really turn it into this amazing thing that I think you can be.
0: I love that answer. That's just such a wonderful way to look at your role and your relationship with other people around you. I think that's super. So thank you. That's really inspiring. It's
1: one of those things where people get really uptight about, oh, somebody sent me a LinkedIn request and they didn't fill out the note or oh, I can't believe this somebody contacted me. And I get sometimes we all get those weird LinkedIn requests to connect, right? Where it's like, what the hell is it? But if somebody's got internal comms in their title. I connect with them because for they it's clear they're reaching out to become a part of something or be connected to something greater. And that goes back to the very first thing we talked about, which is reach and connection. Yeah, Reach to me is, is weak. You're only getting part of the way, but when you can truly build a connection to people, to a profession, to an industry, to an idea, that's when the magic happens.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I do agree. And I'm, I feel vindicated for accepting all those LinkedIn requests now, too, which is good. (laughs) That's an extra bonus. (laughs) And um, I'd just like to ask you, if people do want to make that connection with you, where's where's the best place for them to find you?
1: Well, definitely LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, I think I am the only Chuck Ghost on LinkedIn and Twitter very cryptically at Chuck Ghost. So very easy to find there. Yeah. Um, always happy to have a conversation, connect, learn more from each other. Um, if you have ideas or psychology has inspired you or you want to sort of kick my butt a little bit and tell me to get back <laughs> in the motion, I, I take all kinds of encouragement uh, because I, it, it's one of those things. I truly had no idea that it mattered that much to people, that people enjoyed it, but also people missed it. And that means a lot. But in a weird kind of way, that also puts a little pressure on.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, now there's you built an expectation. Now you have to live up to that expectation. So now it's a matter of me getting back into that cycle of um, being that big fish yeah. again. And then you just go back to doing what I enjoy and doing what I did, knowing that somebody out there was benefiting from it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I was benefiting from it, and I would be delighted if Ecology came back. I think <laughs> you're an excellent podcaster. Um, I really look up to your style and your approach and your ethics, and I'm you know, absolutely thrilled to have had the chance to talk to you about that for, for an hour. I've really enjoyed it. So,
1: Well, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I'd like to say another huge thank you to Chuck for sharing all that information with us. That was really a masterclass in how to set up a podcast for your organisation and also for anybody who's keen to share individual voices and perspectives through their podcasting. If you're feeling inspired to implement any of the tips and tricks that Chuck shared with us in that episode, then please do get in touch with us and let us know. Either of us would be really delighted to hear that you're putting that learning into practice. So if you'd like to find out more about us or about Chuck and where you can get hold of us, then please look us up on beabiggerfish.net and you'll find that information in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm really glad to have you on board. And I'd be really delighted if you subscribe, continue to listen in, and maybe rate us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts so that other people can find this podcast too. We'll see you soon.